Good evening, kind viewers. Tis I, a humble samurai, bringing good fortune to all. I was going door to door to greet my fellow listeners with but a few discretions to be advised of for listening to Dub Talk's podcast. There may be foul language and content most distasteful for younger ears, so proceed with much caution as you proceed forward. Also, there will be complete and unregulated spoiler for the entirety of the anime series Kotaro Lives Alone. Approach with caution if you do not wish to become privy to the story's contents. And finally, both views and opinions addressed tonight are of the individual residents and do not reflect upon the entirety of the Dub Talk podcast. I thank you for your time. I must away now, so please... Enjoy the show, and otaku onward, good friends. Tono-sama, go! Hello, and welcome to Dub Talk, where a group of friends come together to take care of the community and uh, occasionally talk about uh, English sense for anime. I'm Jet, and I'm joined tonight by Aman. Hi. And Andrew. Hello, good sir. Would you care to escort me to the bathhouse? I doth prefer to travel in the company of others, because I am scared of the boogeyman. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, tonight we're uh, here for a fun one. We are here to talk about uh, the uh, the Netflix series uh, Kotaro Lives Alone. Uh, this is what I've been uh, watching to do for a while because uh, I checked it out when it came out. And while I wasn't uh, sure what to think of it based off the previews, I ended up enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. So uh, I finally get to do this one. Uh, so my first impressions were this show were back when... Um, so are, is anyone here familiar with those Netflix to dumb events? Uh, they are I, very I, long. I see people talk about them online and do not watch them. Okay, so those Tadum events are basically like a Japanese press conference for like Netflix anime things, but it's also a Japanese conference where it's like they announce a bunch of things, don't really announce a bunch of other things, and then also like just announce a bunch of things that are very early or have like a quick teaser and that's it. And Kotro was one of those things that was announced at one of those events. I think they only just showed the little clip of Kotaro um, meeting one of his neighbors. And that's really all they showed. Mm -hmm. So my initial impression of this show was this show looks a little weird. But it kind of looks like a kid's show in the same vein as... Shin-chan? So I figured maybe it's like a kid's show that Netflix just got as a part of a package deal and didn't think much more of it until it finally came out in which I heard a completely different tune once it finally <laughs> came out. Yeah, because uh, this is uh, very much nothing. <laughs> oh god, no, is it fucking not? For, for once, that stupid line in those ADV ads about anime not being kid stuff was right. It 
It it's always uh, funny because everybody has always assumed anime not for kids like blood and gore and guts, and nobody ever thought about what if cute anime, but also child abuse, which sure changes the tune quite a bit. Let me tell you what. Oh yeah, but yeah, this show changes it changes its tune quite a bit, frankly. It's it's also kind of impressive. I. I'm so fascinated by this little show. I'd always been curious, because I heard you talking to me very high accolades about this one in particular, and I was curious enough to understand, you know what, good excuse to finally watch this, I'm curious to check this out, and... Wow. You... I don't know what I expected. It wasn't that. Uh, yeah, uh, on that note, uh, we probably should explain what this is. What is this about? Uh, yeah, uh, so if you haven't seen it, uh, here's the description from ANN. A four-year-old Kotaro moves into an apartment building, but with no family. As neighbor Karina and other tenants slowly learn more about Kotaro and each other, they're reminded that families are complicated, messy, and sometimes found. Yeah, that's a pretty... Yeah, that's a pretty heartwarming description, and the show can be heartwarming, it can also be surprisingly dark. I think this is a show that kind of goes for the angle of found family, where, like, the love and kindness you get isn't obligated just because you are family, it's just, it should be given because you are good... People around you care about you and want you to be happy. And it's... I don't really know how to get into this, because it's just... What a... What, what, did, what were your surprise thoughts about this one in particular? I'm kind of rambling a bit here. How does this show do it? How does it work? You know what? How, That's does it, a... how does it go for 10, 30-minute episodes and never fall flat on its face? It's... It is very much doing a little thing I'd like to call tightrope juggling chainsaws. Where yes. it is... It is walking a thin, narrow line of very serious topics while also doing it a way that could be seen as quirky and silly and also potentially be viewed as inoffensive, not inoffensive, like treating the subject matter with a level of disregard and insincerity that you could have ran into. This show feels like it should be in much poorer taste than it is. Like if I describe if I describe yeah. this to you, it would sound like some sort of like you know sub adult swim edgelord nonsense or something. It yeah. feels like the premise of Shameless on like that's that's where I think you you think like kids on their own because of irresponsible parents you think shameless and for those of you who know the show shameless if you're curious where goku and bulma from dragon ball evolution actually got their acting careers from go watch shameless 
But also, Shameless is fucking crazy. There, there is a real, like, premium cable vibe to the premise that I don't feel like I see in a lot of anime. I don't know. I... I, I guess here's my question: What to you is premium cable? Because premium cable means that, different that, that things to different people. Premium cable. I, I somehow premium cable means the Sopranos and also whatever trash stars is greenlit this season. Remember, kids, it's not porn; it's HBO. <laughs> excuse, excuse me, it's not porn; it's Skinamax. Nah, <laughs> uh, I'm just. I think that was like a whole college humor video of like a bunch of actors talking about like oh. all. I think that's what it was, yeah. I I remember this now. I think it was. I think this was around when Game of Thrones first came out. Yeah, I remember. The tune changed when they found out it was HBO. <laughs> well, God, where were we going with this? The premise is. Oh yes, that that is that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the premise is weird and it should not work and somehow it does yep yeah I was like oh yeah and uh and uh something that also and that also works uh, despite the fact that it feels like it maybe shouldn't the dub which we are going to talk about excellent so, and so uh, as always uh, we will start off by Talking about our ADR directors and the scriptwriter for the dub. Uh, so for ADR, we have uh, Jeremy Lay and Jennifer Losey, as well as Michael Tito Nicholas. And on scripts, we have Heather Gonzalez. Uh, Jeremy Lay has directed such shows as Last Hope, God, <laughs> Goodbye Dog Lees, and Summer Ghost. And... Michael Sidonokulis, of course, you know, has done a bunch of stuff at it at NYAB Post, including Resort to Golden Age Trilogy, Slayers Revolution and Evolution R, and Your Name. Uh, as for Jennifer Losey, this is actually her first director. Really? And, yeah. Cool. And then for uh, Heather Gonzalez, uh, she has contributed scripts for such shows as um, A Main Warrior at the Borderline, and LBX Girls. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So I think the uh, one interesting note to uh, make about this show is that, uh, as for, on the ADR front, uh, this was actually recorded through two different studios. I, I did believe. notice that actually. Yeah, well, it had two specific studio credits. I know with Center Nicholas, one would assume NYAV Post, but I think a company called Deluxe Media was credited for assisting on this too. Yep, and yep, it was a collaboration between the Lux Media and Miami Post. So, the interesting thing I will bring up for this particular project is that NYAV Post, one of their usual go-tos, or like what, I feel like every studio has like particular uh, staples, or every director or studio has particular things that you can kind of tell this is a project that this studio or this director is working on. When when you are a nerd on the internet who analyzes anime English dubs to a finite degree, you notice little things, as we have done here. One of the ones I'd say is notable about NYAV Posts is that they actually do, in fact, work with child actors. 
which they both do and do not do in regards to this show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like most of the children in this show are casted by child actors. I feel like for the most part, yes. It is good to have like the authenticity of child actors, but I'm also going to argue that we, we will get to them in a bit, but Kotaro is in fact not... Our titular four-year-old child is not played by a child actor. Yeah, I f yeah, and yeah, and I feel like this is a case where it was probably a matter of like, this is a leading role. Uh, that's I, obviously going to be I, pretty I, taxing. I'm going to be honest. I don't think it's a matter of it being a leading role. I think it's a matter of the fact that this one is particularly complicated. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. It's particularly complicated, uh, uh, yeah. and it also goes into a lot of places, I feel like, asking a child to imbue into a character they would actively not understand, or it might be uncomfortable to explore. Yes, uh... Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. It is a case where it would be really hard to imagine a child actor like actually being able to do this. It's one of the things I at least want to acknowledge because I think I get why they didn't go that angle. Yeah, so uh, yeah. Though uh, in fairness, they did cast, they did at least cast someone who could do a very convincing child voice, which is uh, surprising in its own way. This is an interesting project in and of itself because there's a lot of bit characters that need to be believable and show up f and exist for like five ten minutes and sell you on their deal or make you care for them even if they're on for like five minutes like because a lot of the show's told in like weird vignettes and we're not going to go through like a lot of the bit characters but there's a couple of them that i thought particularly stood out to me that i at least wanted to highlight because i was like oh that's interesting. Like, uh, like a, a shout out to Damon Mills' weird, um, snooty fashion man who's like, this kid's saying my clothes look like garbage. I can't stand for that. Who's he think he is? And then he's like, oh, he just kind of keeps doing all his clothes because he, he doesn't have anybody to do them for him. Or the dentist guy was the, was the one I was like, oh... This is an interesting little character. And then it's like, oh. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, that one went, uh... That one went real bad. And then you get all the vignettes of individual kids, where it's like, oh, this girl's being forced to hang out with Kotaro and doesn't really like Kotaro, but her mom is making her spend time with him because they are basically they are in a very poor situation now and she wants her hanging out with a kid who's worse off than them so she doesn't feel bad among her actual friends. There's... Yeah? There's so many things. And, the, and, and like, the soccer kid, I, I, I think one of the ones I really want to highlight because it, it was definitely a very convincing... He was definitely a young... 
maybe older, younger actor, but it, it definitely sounded convincing to me that this particularly was a kid. Hide on the soccer team was like this tough kid who's like, you are so bad at sports, why are you even doing here? And then he has like a trauma response to yelling that flashes him back to his own family who are screaming and yelling at each other and he basically drowns out all the noise because he's just like straight up traumatized by it and then Kotaro's like here give me your hands this helps me calm my thoughts when the bad memories come flooding back in and it's like wow this is a show that is a bunch of vignettes and this is a a dub that makes all those vignettes believable, impactful, and effective, while also still being a funny, relatively lighthearted show sometimes? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, what's like, particularly nice about, or particularly interesting with this dub is... Uh, it's like, is that a one you have Michael Tito Nicholas, who is obviously, you know, no straight into anime dubbing and has done a lot of, and has done a lot of stuff over the years. And then, so, and then comparatively, like, Toby Lee has done a couple of things, and Jennifer Losey has done, this is her first thing. And, so, and yet between the three of them, I think the direction feels pretty seamless for the most part. I would definitely say it feels pretty... I'm going to say, I think the dub of this feels down-to-earth and low-key, despite what one would assume from the premise. Yeah. Like, I, w I would say, the premise, you would assume, this is a little bit wacky and a little bit goofy, and there are definitely characters that are a little bit eccentric and goofy, but the show also knows what and how to play certain scenes which is crazy to me i don't understand how this show does it right because this feels so easy to fuck up yeah yeah and uh also um uh, i guess on the note of the dub script, I also think that works pretty well. I don't think that works pretty well. Uh, it's a pretty... Again, this is a very down-to-earth show, so there's a lot of, like, super wacky dialogue, but a lot of it feels pretty natural. It can have a lot of fun every now and then. And then whenever the show needs to, like, stop and be serious, it can uh, switch to that when that's going to be, and I appreciate that. Just... I feel, Amon, I remember we were having a discussion in particular where I felt like, I think the key that makes a show like Kotaro Lives Alone works is that it feels like it understands empathy. Just like, it does not feel like it is shaming anybody's lot in life. Nor is it demeaning anybody's trauma. It feels like a show that is not telling you to laugh at these people. It is asking you to reflect 
and empathize with the lot in life they were given. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, this character is silly in this regard, but that silliness is coming from somewhere. They are a, they are a human. They are shaped by their own experiences and sad. And, you know, uh, you know, we'll talk about it more when we probably talk about the cast, but, like, you have some, like, uh, Samu, that's the, uh, like, Yakuza-looking guy. Uh, yeah, like, like he's oh, a yeah, the Yakuza ball, guy. The show also has a lot of empathy for what his situation is and how, like, yeah, he's, 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 he gets very goofy around Kataro, but that is born out of its, his own, like, uh, like specific circumstances and how his life has turned out and how he, he can't do things he wants to do because, uh, for a variety of reasons. And I want to lose sight of that. It wants to make him. There's a sense of like you know you, you know you know yeah he's he's a clown but you know the clown takes their makeup off and goes about their life at the end of the day. Too. The the clown has to go to the doctor and say they are sad every now and then too, and then find out that they the doctor prescribes them to the clown who's really funny. It's like doctor, I am Pagliacci. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Uh... Is rough love, lot in life. But just this dub is fascinating. There's a lot of small bit characters that are the heart and core of this story, and everyone is going to walk away with a different one of those that I think really made them go, holy shit. Like I think I think my personal one was the one with Hide, like the soccer kid, just because I was like I, I, I'm not going to say I, I'm somebody who's experienced, like, I wouldn't think I've ever experienced, like, trauma or abuse as, like, a kid myself. But it's also that level of, like, I actively freeze up when it comes to yelling and when it comes to, like, particularly, like, screaming conflict stuff. And I just, when I get, when I'm around those types of circumstances, I actively do freeze up and suddenly regress and feel like I'm that six-year-old kid again hearing his parents screaming in the next room over. And I guess I just felt that weird level of, like, a show getting it? Or a show understanding what that feels like and how, like, even this tough little kid who's just like, ah, oh, this kid's just a big baby, and then suddenly a coach is screaming at some other kids, and suddenly he's back to being the scared kid in his room again. And it just surprised me in how much I felt that. So I think that one in particular just kind of like stuck out with me. I was curious if you two had a particular segment or character that really stuck out in your minds. Um, uh, that was what I, uh, that was what I liked. I think I probably got the, uh, I think I probably got the most emotional at the story with, uh, oh god, why am I forgetting the name? Oh, uh, Tosco. Yeah, the one with Tosco is probably the one that got to me the most. Oh, you mean, uh, Tosco's? Oh, uh, yeah. oh, yeah, that one, that whole story was, a. Uh, we will get to that, but, yeah, I was crying pretty good at that and you, Emma? I mean, the one with the soccer kid definitely is like that, that one. That one hit, but also because it, it I, 
a thing I think this show also does is I think it it's good at dealing with a lot of sub dark subject matter without coming across as kind of like cloying or like after school especially. Uh, and that's that's that, that one that one really felt like that because that feels like one where this could get either like really bad or really just kind of drippy in one form or another and I was in I was impressed by how well it was able to play that. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, yeah, and uh, I have to give another one that kind of broke my heart, like the one where we briefly see Kotaro meet kids who are actually worth, worth something he is. Oh god, the kids that were thrown away. Uh, oh, that, I forgot about that one, that was rough. Jesus. And that was the one where he was like mad at like the big brother for it's like, you left them alone, how dare you, and it's like... I, I literally have no peace and quiet. I needed some time to myself. All I ha all I do every day is provide for them. But my parents threw me away like we were nothing. And then like Kotaro's like lashes out being like we were not abandoned or thrown away. We were not. And it's just like man, that man. This is a show where its, it's premise is, haha, look at this little kid trying to act all grown up, and also he talks like a samurai man. Isn't that cute? And then it's like, oh, oh, you never grew, you, you literally have to be grown up to survive. Like, oh, look, he's going to put on fake disguises so he can get more balloons. Oh, look, he's drawn faces on them listed as various relatives so he can have a nice stay at the park with his family. <laughs> This isn't funny at all! Oh god, I just remembered one. There was actually one I was trying to remember, but I completely forgot. It was a... It was like a... Like a telephone scam guy that I think Chris Bevins played. Oh my god, where he's just talking to him because he's lonely? Yeah, where it's just like... <laughs> where he's literally, like, trying to scam these old ladies, and then Kotaro's on the phone... And then he's just having a conversation with him for a little bit and keeps it going. And then it's like, you kind of sound a lot like my father. This is a, a request. I wanted to ask if you could, if you could tell me you were proud of me. And I was like, oh, fuck, man. Yeah. And it's like, there's not even really a punchline, it's just, oh, here's kind of like a, gr a crummy little guy who's doing something kind of scummy, and then talks to this innocent, genuine little kid, and then it's like, reflecting on his whole life, and, like, I, it's the kind of thing where it's like, I don't know if he's going to change himself for the better, but I feel like he would reevaluate his life. I think yeah. the, this is a show about empathy and a show about Kotaro as a character believing in the good of other people to an almost, like, insane degree. But I feel like that earnestness, kindness, but also genuine, in like, empathy kind of makes Kotaro very strong and endearing and if i was to make a little bit of a joke so this doesn't get too he heavy kotaro 
has the most powerful talk new jutsu in anime history. Fuck you, fight me. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, pretty up there. Definitely comparable with, uh, like, Mob and such. I definitely say up there with Mob, but, yeah, it's, it's just... Oh, boy, man. Yeah, yeah. God, I'm tearing up just remembering uh, a fucking t- phone call. My God. Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, before uh, we get to emotion, we probably should, uh... Go ahead and introduce the cast here. Mm. Uh, to which, uh, this is a pretty... There are too many characters in this show, so uh, we're actually going to be covering all of them at once. So, uh, going down the list, we have our protagonist, Kotaro Sato, uh, Shin Karido, Ado Kobayashi, Isa- Isabu Tamaru, uh, Mizuki Akimoto, Atake, Ipe Fukudo, Ryota, Tasku and Ota. Uh, so Kotaro is a precocious little boy living by himself who acts very wise beyond his years and has a mysterious past involving why he's separated from his parents. Um, Karido is Kotaro's neighbor who's a scruffy looking manga artist and takes it, takes it upon himself to look after Kotaro. Uh, uh, Kobayashi is the lawyer in charge of Kotaro's case who delivers him the money from his mom's life insurance while also trying to keep him from freaking out that his mother passed away. Uh, Tamaru is another one of Kotaro's neighbors who's a scary-looking Yakuza guy who may or may not be in the Yakuza but likes kids and enjoys looking after Kotaro. Uh, Mizuki is another one of Kotaro's neighbors who works in a cabaret club and is caught in a bad relationship with her boyfriend. Uh, Takei is one of Kotaro's neighbors who moves in after Mizuki leaves and seems well-adjusted, but is secretly very terrified of children. Uh, Fukuno is Karido's manga editor, who seems like he's extremely dead to the world and has a laugh to match, but it's actually a pretty good dude. Uh, Ryota is one of Kotaro's old friends who lived in the same group home as him before he moved to his current apartment. Atasuku is another one of Kotaro's old friends from his group home who works in a, who works as a club host and wants to get an apartment with Kotaro but is secretly swimming in debt and tries to take advantage, advantage of Kotaro's finances. And then lastly, Ota is a mysterious detective who moves into Kotaro's apartment building for a while and befriends him but is actually there at the behest of Kotaro's father who is secretly searching for him. No, this is bad. His father is not good. <laughs> His father is effectively a, a abusive, scary man in, who... Yeah. In one of the more upsetting moments of the show, uh, we find out Kodro does not like having his photo taken, and that is because an orphanage he was at did that once and posted it to their website, and that was all his dad needed to track him down and angrily demand to the staff that they let him see his son. Which is fucking yeah. terrifying as itself. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we actually get a lot of details on it, but there is very much a sense of, like, this dude is, like, this dude does not have custody for his kid for a reason. And yeah. the, the details are kind of irrelevant, frankly. I think the, the, the most upsetting <laughs> thing is that not only is he afraid of his father, he also feels the reason his father is like that is his fault. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we don't get a lot of, yeah, we don't get a lot of details on what, uh, the exact situation was, but it's implied that, like, his mother was, like, 
neglectful, and there may have been a point where the father was, like, not as terrible, but then I guess maybe, like, the mom passed away, and then he... Something broke him, something changed in him. It's possible, yeah. it's also possible when the mother walked out, the man just broke and snapped and took it out on the kid. See, that, that's interesting. I didn't think yeah. the mom walked out. I, well, like, she died, but I, I got the impression she was going out because she had to go to the hospital. I think it's... It's hard to say, but I think there is some implication that there was neglect mm -hmm. or there was just that level of couldn't really take care of him and left him. Uh, the implication I got... Um... This is a bit later on where, like, she needed to wear gloves. I got the impression that she was, like, sick in some capacity. Okay, yeah, I that that was what I was getting from that, too. I think the whole glove thing, which is paralleled in Decay's thing, is that I'm pretty sure that was a mother dealing with postpartum de depression, and I think Kotro's mother literally just had a weakened immune system. Yeah. Yeah, the show does not fuck around, by the way. Yeah, the show's, the show's a real for 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 what it looks like, the show is a bummer. The show, the show looks what I would describe as charmingly jank as shit. Like, like a Shin-Chan home movies level of intentional uggo. But it works. Uh, yeah, yeah. To which my defense of that is, uh, the character designs are at least less uh, bizarre than. The oh movies. yeah, no, I saw the, I saw manga Kotaro, and it's like, oh, that is an alien. <laughs> Y'all are very mean. <laughs> look, I I think anime Kotaro, his pupils at least look like one one from Infinity Train, so that in itself is endearing to me. That is true. <laughs> uh, anyway, I wish you could do who plays these characters. So, Let's. uh, uh so Kudro is played by Jeremy Lay. Uh, Karado is played by Michael Tutu Nicholas. Uh, Kobayashi is played by Heather Gonzalez. Kaburu is played by Kaylee McKee. And Mizuki is played by Stephanie Shea. Decay is played by Caitlin Gout. Uh, Fukuno is played by Brett McKay. Riot is played by Kyle McCarley. Tosco is played by Ben Diskin, and Aota is played by David Erringer Jr. Uh, Jeremy Lay has played such characters as Lucy Hot Philly and Fairy Tale, Sarada Uchihan Boruto, Naruto Next Generation, Hatabo and Ya and Mr. Osamatsu, and Chloe and Pokemon Journeys, Car Michael Nitsu Ah, man, I can't brain. Uh, Michael Nitsu Nicholas has uh, voiced such characters as Horror Horo in. The 2001 and 2021 versions of Shaman King, Oritami Cyclone and Tackered Buddy, Mori Takamashiro and Bakuman, and uh, just for all you, uh, yeah, just for all you 90s or 2000 kids out there, Mikey and Captain. Oh my, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, he was fucking Capo Mikey. <laughs> yes, <Jesus> Christ. Ah. <laughs> uh, Heather Gonzalez is played such characters as uh, Gloria Costello and Joseph's Bizarre Adventures Stone Ocean, uh, Kumi and Komodo Jihen, and Kaori Takanashi and Hotless Nada. Uh, Kaylee McKay has played such characters as, Mata as Matthias Hulishheimer in The Strongest Saves with the Weakest Crest. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got the name wrong, but whatever. Uh, Pita in Beastars. 
And uh, best ball, he took Kurosuke with Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. Uh, Stephanie Shea has played such characters as Ilias Veal, Von Einsberg in the Fate franchise, Usagi Tsukino, aka Sailor Moon in the Sailor Moon franchise, and Susie Q in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Battle Tendency. Uh, Caitlin Gold has played such characters as Kamara in Bottom Tier Character Tomizaki, Fedeko in Agretzko, and Kisara in Tales of Arise. Uh, Brett Mackay has played such characters as Yamamoto in Ikebukuro Westgate Park, uh, Lou Blay in Kingdom, and Atsuya Baba in Odd Taxi. Uh, Kama Carly has played such characters as Cyborg 009 in Cyborg 009 Call of Justice, Person Hill in Hunter, Hunter 2011, and Shigeo Kageyama, aka Bob and Bob Psycho 100. Uh, ben Diskin has played such characters as Joseph Josar in Joseph's Bizarre Adventure Battle Tendency, Psy in Naruto Shippuden, and Kamui in Twin Star Exorcist. And then lastly, David Erico Jr. has played such characters as Tomoya Tsukisaki in Summer Ghost, Savan Glashet in The Case Files of Lord Amaloy II in Realm Zeppelin Greystone, and Koko Furihata in Kuroko's Battle. Isn't he also like the current voice of Ferb in Phineas and Ferb. Probably. I'm like pretty sure that was where I first saw his name. I was like, oh, he's on Phineas and Ferb? What? Okay. Uh, there, are quite a, uh, there are quite a few of them. Alright. I, I guess for the sake of conversation, did you want to start with the boys at the bottom here? Yeah, I feel like we probably talk about Ryota and Tosca. Okay, that's fair. I would definitely say, I think Ryota, he shows up a bit, but I think Ryota's deal is that he is just a decent guy, who's which is it, kind of very endearing to see Ryota in particular interact with uh, Kotaro, because they are just the big, they are a big brother that it's clear that they have like a kindred spirit in that they're just they grew up together they treat each other like buds and he cares about this kid and it's good to see them interacting as like mutuals but also as like like more more not quite what i would say as friends but it is definitely more than like acquaintances uh, uh, yeah, there's definitely like a kind of brotherly com- camaraderie there. Mm-hmm. I would say. They, and, they, they have they have both been through the experience known as having to live in a group home. They have they have been through the system, which being through the system is not easy to deal with. And I think Ryota, I think Kyle definitely gives him this nice level of warmth to him. Which is absolutely contrasted by the fact that Kyle McCarley is Alto Kotaro's father. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, he does also play Kotaro's father. Yeah, it's it is also Kyle McCarley. <laughs> that's that's a casting decision. Wow. Okay. He, he's good at it. He's, uh, it's not. It, it's not a complaint merely to observe. That is a casting decision. For sure, but I, d- I definitely say that I think Kyle's Ryota definitely gives him the right level of like big brother energy warmth and also that level of i think i think especially after tasku's whole arc definitely comes off with the energy of 
he will deck somebody if somebody deserves to be decked. Where it's nice to know that he's not just gonna take everything in stride just because is a good kid. It's like, oh, you're being an asshole right now, I'm gonna deck you in the fucking face. And then you will deserve it, and then you will deal. And I think Ryota yeah. gets all of that across. And I think Kyle does a very good job covering Ryota. Yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of funny that, you know, even after he decked, uh, that even after he decks him, he's so kind of, you know, he's so uh, nice enough to help Tosca get a job. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of Tosca, uh, Ben Diskin. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Uh, just uh, re- just uh, really channeling his inner hipster there. I- I'm not sure how to describe this particular performance. I... I mean, I, I do, but that's because, like, this, this asshole shows up in every single fucking Yakuza game. I... I think... How, how do I describe this? Ben Diskin is playing Tasku as, like, the most fake wearing a mask at all times character i've ever seen him play mm. like like there's that level of like all these things with the way tasku is acting and reacting is like everything about him feels fake and fabricated like i do not believe you understand all of this modern slang and terminology you are throwing out like it's fucking candy on Christmas morning. I legitimately just... I don't think you understand what lit means in conversation. But I believe you think by talking comfortably and modern, you think people will not be able to see the real you. Uh, uh, yeah, that is definitely got to be uh, facade this character has been on, and it's pretty amusing in its own way. And I think they, they very much established that Tasku is not a bad person. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I really liked all the flashbacks with, uh, him and Kotaro in the group home, where, where, where Kotaro, like, first came there and he was having trouble fitting in, because, you know, he was... So we gotta do with all his trauma, and then Tosku was like... He was a he was a weird loner, little he was a weird loner dealing with trauma. Yeah. Yeah, and then like Tosku was the first one to kind of like come up and just, and I thought that whole thing was really cute. And then like stood up for him because they just assumed Tosku stole like shoplifted that one time, and everybody suspects he's a he's a thief at every chance now, just because they think he's that shady and untrustworthy, which. It was kind of adorable and heartbreaking watching that come full circle. Whereas... Yeah, yeah. Like, Kotaro is smart. Unbelievably smart. And the fact that he knew and is still like, I want to help you because I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And it's just... Kind of watching the facade from Tasku break down to the point that Ben... Is just breaking down in near tears, like absolutely apologetic, absolutely heartbroken at what he's done, and it's just—I was pretty impressed at how 
Ben Diskin is like this very fake try-hard big brother, but underneath all that bullshit is a very sincere person who really is trying to do his best and just got fucked. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did uh, find the whole like revelation where he finds finally, you know, decided to roll to be the Kotaro, and it's like, oh, you know, he did actually try taking Kotaro's advice and you know living earnestly, and then he ended up trusting the wrong people, and he got himself. He tried because yeah, Kotaro got lucky by trusting a number of good people. Tosku is what happens when you buddy up with the wrong people. And it's rough, and I really feel for the guy. And, yeah. and what was that you're saying that you've seen this guy in every Yakuza game before? Every Yakuza game has some like hotshot jackass like host club dude. Like they're everywhere. Like that that is a main that is a staple of that series. Not necessarily a major character, just like I have seen this character type in I feel like every single one of those games. This this is not a character. This is a person to literally throw a bicycle at and then drop kick and then get a good score. You 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 are friends with some of them, but a lot of them are mooks for you to go wail on because uh the the Yakuza games is like uh, yeah, this guy's a real dirtbag. Let's, let's <laughs> And he'll pick a fight with you because everyone always pick fucking picks. Everyone looks at Kiryu and thinks I can take this fifty-year-old man with washboard abs. Surely I'll win. <laughs> they always fuck up every time. It's 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 real. It never gets old. Anyways, yeah, I, I like through those games alone. I feel like I've seen I see they're not usually not as sympathetic as um, Tasku, but like I've I've definitely seen this character type in in that and and things like that. Gotcha. Okay. And then, uh, did you have anything you wanted to add, I'm on? I don't know if I have much to add. Like Ben's, Ben's, this sh this dub feels not. It's not hard to talk about, but I think I think as Andrew pointed out, it is very grounded. Uh, there's not a lot of like big flashy moments that I can necessarily point to. A lot of it is like, yeah, Ben play. You know, Ben plays Tosku like a real person. Who, you like? I would read like in in you know. I feel like I could read like a. Oh, what are they? I forget the you know every like articles in the newspaper are like we're gonna do kind of a profile on like a person in the community or something like that. Like Tosca feels like a dude who could show up in one of those. I'm not gonna and lie, I thought like that. I thought you were going to say this is a dude you would read about in an obituary. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I genuinely thought that's where you were going with that. That's not that's not wrong, but I'm not trying to be that bleak yet. Okay, fair. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, what was it? Yeah, he, he, like, a lot of the strength of this dub, I think, comes that a lot of these people, even when the characters they are playing are very goofy, are very good at getting to their core humanity, and I think, I think Ben does that very well. I feel like it, it, it's, it's a testament to, like, both the performance and the writing that Tosku can do what he does and not come off as completely irredeemable by the end of the episode, because trying to bilk a child out of his money feels like it should be pretty it, hard to walk back from, and, it, and yet he does. It feels like something a wor a weaker... Okay, I'm not, I'm not even sure I'd say weaker writer. It feels like something a less tactful writer would just make him an irredeemable villain. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm shockingly... I was disappointed when I thought that's what the show was implying, and I was very impressed when it turned out that was, in fact, not the direction they were going with it. Mm. Actually, speaking of sketchy, that'd be a good segue to go into Alota, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because this is another character where, uh, where you see this guy, he seems very sketchy. He does not seem like he would be redeemable yet. I, I think it's like, because cause his whole deal is that, Hi, I'm new in town. I got this place cheap for a job. Hey, it'd be cool if we hang out. I'd like to be friends with you, suspicious-looking four-year-old child. Let's hang out. Let's go to the bath. I'd like to know about your stuff. We can go to the movies. It'll be chill. And it almost feels like, it, it, I was genuinely thinking, okay, what is your deal? Are you just naive? Are you just a weirdo? And then it's like, oh, you're a private eye. Which, that was a interesting little turn. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would definitely say, if I was to describe the way David very much plays him, is I would say... David plays out a very... How do I describe this? Salary man? Uh, yeah, that, that's a pretty there, good description. There, there's a real 9-to-5 aspect to his attitude. Like, I would, I would say yeah. it is that level of, like, unassuming salary man. Like, this is a guy who will tell, who will tell you, Mondays, am I right? And then tell you like some shitty jokes to uh talk about around like the coffee machine and then would say hey becky i hope the kids are going well and then just do nothing and work all day is this is this have you ever seen an episode of bob's burgers where bob has a nightmare about having an office job i i know the exact episode you're talking about and like honestly that, yes that, right that's it that is <laughs> I didn't even realize that's what I was referencing. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, there definitely is a real sense of uh, professionalism to out uh, that uh, David portrays really well. And where this is a guy who uh, takes a job seriously and is uh, pretty, and is pretty uh, nonchalant about it. But okay, well, yeah, it's pretty nonchalant about it in a way where. You would think this guy doesn't have any particular morals because to him it's just a job. But then you find out that uh, because to him it's just a job, uh, <laughs> when he's off the job, he actually does have a conscience. I think the fascinating thing to me, I, I, I like the turn where it's like, I was, I was asked to give him an address. I didn't have to give him the right address. Which was a nice little turn of that. And then it's like, yeah. So, guess what? You see this on my body? Yeah, those are cigarette burns. I remember what it was like to live with my father, too, and be terrified. Which, I think he sort of goes into it, and I think the show very much elaborates that... There are people that are physically, mentally, and emotionally not equipped to take on the task of raising children. Oh boy, are they not. Where 
it is just this level of like these are people who are broken traumatized and ultimately just destroy themselves because they were not ready mentally physically emotionally to take on the task that is to care for a life a small life that does not know better and trusts you with everything and the worst thing that this show says you can do is to betray the trust a child gives in you. And that's mm. shockingly poignant. Mm. I just, I, I think the whole outer thing where it's like, there are people, people are not as like, irredeemable as you would assume they are, but also like the most disgusting thing you could do is to is to betray the trust of a child in need mm. which is a lot to deal with but i think i i was pretty pr particularly impressed with uh david's work as out and i thought even for this episode he was in the private eye guy was actually pretty compelling as a character uh, yeah uh, yeah i thought his character was uh, really interesting Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like that, uh, while it was mostly job for him, he did eventually kind of be sad with something of a genuine friendship with Kotaro, and I thought the whole, like, goodbye party Kotaro designed to give him was I think Kotaro does just make people break down their guard and truly, truly care. Just that level of, like, kindness and empathy that can make even the most cold-hearted person mm. melt is nice. He's a good mm. kid. And he didn't even need to punch somebody and say, that's my ninja way. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, happy 20th anniversary to you, Naruto Date Bayo. Yeah. And, uh, speaking, and, uh, speaking of manga, uh... We, we can probably move to talking about Fukuno, who is... Uh, <laughs> I just literally the male version of the Fenico. It laugh. really is just the male version of the Fenico laugh. And there's something strangely charming about it. Like, I, I think at first I just assumed he was mocking Karino. And then it's like, no, that's just... That's just how he. I, I'll be stopped. honest. When he first did it, I assumed it was one of those things of like, he's trying to be like chummy by like you know laughing, but he's so bad at it that it comes off as the phoniest thing in the world. Like he's like he's like he's trying to he's, he's trying to like laugh to lighten the mood, and it's like you're making it so much worse. Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> Well, he's he's got that level of energy. It's like I know just what to make you feel better. I will sing you a lullaby and lull you to sleep. Start sitting a, singing a Leonard Cohen song. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, this dude just sounds like extremely dry and kind of dead inside, but in a very fun I was way. Also, and... I was I too was shocked to learn he has children. Uh, although that did explain it. Did explain you know what? It does make a little more sense <laughs> in that context. 
It does, which... Man, that was, a, that was actually one of the more shocking elements where... I feel like each character that interacts with Kotaro notices a different element about Kotaro that somebody else wouldn't have noticed. And I think the, the interesting thing about Fukuno is that he realized... Yeah, he's a four-year-old kid living on his own, feeding himself, taking care of himself, going to school. He does everything to take care of himself and survive, and he doesn't really stop to let himself be a kid. So I just thought, you know what? Here, we have a bunch of, like, arcades and, like, cool toys in the back. Uh, let me just have him play for a little bit and just take his mind off of his troubles for just a few hours. And I, I just... I love Brent's very sardonic delivery of this character, where he, he's playing him with the energy of somebody who does care. I think that's the thing, is that he does actually care, actually have good advice and feedback, and really is trying to help... He just looks like an asshole who couldn't give less of a shit, and he and he just talks kind of like this. I see, that's the joke you made. Very funny, very informative. It reminds me uh, a lot of, a lot of the type of, like, a doctor who's very good at their job, but, like, and they're not even, like, an asshole, just they don't have good bedside manner, like, that's not a skill they have. And so everything comes off as a little more rude and brusque than they clearly mean it to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do like that. While he does seem like pretty critical of Cardo at times, you can definitely tell through Brent's delivery that uh, he really is looking out for him, and uh, they have a pretty good dynamic. And, and uh, while it's not a and while it's not a very direct comparison, I, I will say the whole like I will say the whole like manga career angle did at times uh, make me think of Kaguchi Goto while watching the show. And and that just makes me think, man, this guy is just a way more reliable editor than the guy here in Disney played. <laughs> you know what? I think you're right. This definitely is like this level of because this is not a asshole dude. So I I think the author of Kodoro might actually have a good relationship with his editor. I I'm sure there's some editors who don't drive their authors up the wall. They're just. It's hard to like your boss, you know? It's hard to like your boss, and <laughs> especially it feels like every scenario is like a nightmare scenario when it comes to talking to your editors. Mm. So yeah, you're right, this is a very... And, he, and even the shows, like, Kotaro's like, you're being too hard on him, why can't you be nicer to him? But even then, it's just... This is a dude who cares, but I do like the fact... I, I just love the specific, like deadpan warm deadpan is a strange phrase to say but I think Brent delivers on the most affectionate man who is running on maybe two and a half hours of sleep and needs to inject five hour energy into his fucking veins to even get anything done Ah, uh, pretty much. I also feel like he would just be a good guy to have drinks with. 
Oh, definitely. Like, this dude's got stories about his work, about his kids, and I feel like he and Fenico would absolutely make very good drinking buddies just going, ha 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 
like there's a variety of uh, of trauma and bleakness. Like her mother straight up had postpartum depression. I'm convinced that's what that was. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Like there's just that level of like being so disgusted with your kid, you don't even want to touch and look at them. Is a lot. It's so much. And I think Caitlin has this particular level of, like, I'd say predetermined strength. Where I think she is strong because she thinks she has to be strong. Uh, yeah, this is definitely a very no-nonsense character um, early on. But I also think you can tell she grows into it, and you can tell she really does care about Kotaro and wants to improve himself. She's also a little bit of a disaster. I say that endearingly in the sense that she's like, oh, something's going on with Kotaro. Uh, there, he's got a PTA meeting? I could go to the PTA meeting. There are children everywhere. I fucked up incredibly. <laughs> there's just, there's just that genuine level of like... I can help. Oh no, I fucked up so bad. Yeah, so, yeah to which, uh, speaking of that episode, uh, once again, uh, the way this show can pull amazing hat tricks. Going from a really amusing thing about Kotaro, like, Kotaro suddenly gaining weight because he's eating a bunch of food, to find out, oh, uh, that's happening because, like, all the other kids are, like, they change the health menu. And all, the, and all the other kids are pushing their food onto Kotaro. And he's and eating it. Kotaro just takes it because he's... Uh, because he knows what it's like to he starve. He knows what it's like to starve, and he knows what it's like to live every day not knowing when your next meal's gonna come. Which fucking Christ. That didn't hit his hard, but only because we'd already had the episode about eating uh, tissues. Oh fuck, I forgot about the eating yeah. tissues thing, Jesus Christ. Like, like, don't get me wrong, this one's a bummer, but that one was way worse. That one was like, oh god... There yeah. is nutritional value in different tissue brands. Fuck. Here comes the whole, the whole pile of yeah. content warnings I usually don't think about with anime. It's a little impressive, I guess? I don't know. I would not... It looks like a sh I think the reason this is a hard sell for people in that it looks like a show you could show to young kids... And it absolutely is not. But it's also not aimed at the people who, when they hear adult anime, they think adult themes. They think adult content. They think rip and tear, rip and tear, tits and ats, rips and tear. This is the kind... This is the, this is the kind... Yeah... Like, this is a show that is made for the person who wrote it, and potentially nobody else. This is this is a show that, in a weird way, Netflix was probably the best place for this to end up, because barring, uh, like, premium cable getting into anime distribution, this is about the closest I think it's going to get to the audience who would appreciate it, which would basically, which is mostly just, like, shows that are challenging. 
Like, shows that ask the, something of you as the audience. This feels like something that could have been a fan-favorite collecting dusk on the back of the Crunchyroll catalog this is, this that is, this is a somebody on Twitter tells you, no, please watch this, guys. It's actually really good. And five people listen and nobody ever talks about it. If this had come out in, like, the yeah. 90s, uh, Justin Zvankis would have absolutely written, like, a buried treasure column on ANN for it. I like, can totally like, see. Like, no, absolutely. Like, the show is great. It's a lot. It's weird, but you're not going to regret watching it. Like, a- absolutely in that kind of show. This is a show I don't regret watching, but I don't know who I can sell this to. That's that's, so, that's sort of the conundrum where it's like, I really like this. I don't actually know who this is for, and I don't know who would actually appreciate it because th- it's like... It's well written and adult and charming, but it also looks like butt, and it also has genuinely big trigger warnings that could, in fact, trigger people who have specific memories. It's a unique beast. I appreciate it for being a unique beast, but I don't know if being unique is what gets one to make it big necessarily either, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's, it's a sort of Kotaro is fascinating contradiction of a show, and I guess I, I'm just glad I kind of just decided, ah, oh, what the fuck, I'll watch this mm. so I can talk about it. And I absolutely do adore Caitlin Gout's Galt. Is it Gout or Galt? I'm, I'm actually not sure either. Probably questions to ask. I, I'm gonna go with Galt too because the other one, the other one sounds like Gout. So, Caitlin Galt, um, I definitely think her decay is very fun, very charming, but also kind of heartbreaking, too, when you see her really getting serious and really digging back into, like, her childhood memories. But I think she is a welcome addition to the show, even if it's a late one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I liked her a lot, and then, uh... We got to who she replaced, and Stephanie Shea's Mizuki. Mizuki was a good girl. She deserves the world, and also better. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mizuki was a lot of fun. I, I, I like the fact that this is kind of like a peppier Stephanie Shea. It's got, like, a bit of, like, the qualities I would assume, like, are like a peppy, fun-loving Stephanie Shea, but also with the added tinge that this is an adult woman who is dealing with her own problems and troubles that most other people would not see if they didn't know to look. Oh uh, yeah, and uh, Stephanie Shane does a really good job of uh, balancing both sides. I mean, because when you see Mizuki at first, he just seems like a very... Yeah, she just seems like a very nice, down-to-earth she, lady. And she's, she's literally like, the hot girl moved. next door. Yep, and yeah, and yeah, and uh, next Sabu, she's probably like the most immediately endeared to go to row and spend the most time with him, and they have like a really cute dynamic. Uh, okay, just because I don't know where else to put this, I think one of the funniest lines to me is that, oh god, I need to find the exact line, but it's basically, um. Hey God, you, you, you keep talking about her. I want to find the line. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I really, 
Yeah, but yeah, I really do like how Stephanie J balances all that. And then, like, uh, the more serious side of the character where, uh, we find out what's going on, uh, in her relationships and how, um, her whole thing with her boyfriend isn't going very well at all because he's, uh, taking money from her and pitting her, which is, uh, yeah, that's pretty That cool. is fucking rough. And I, I, this show was not afraid to tackle the subject of abusive relationships, but I think it's, I'm also kind of impressed at how serious Kotaro takes it because yeah it's just all of all of his neighbors are like hey you should go to the police about this I could beat the shit out of him for you don't worry I got you girl and Kotaro's like you do not understand you are in grave danger he knows where you live he knows where you work you need to leave here immediately absolute heartbreaking fight or flight instinct taking effect and it's, uh, so, uh, it's uh, yeah I think the thing I appreciate uh, about that scene is that uh, is that, is, uh, is that uh, obviously like Kotaro is often portrayed as very wise beyond his years that he does is that, and he does give like surprisingly good advice at times is that, uh, so, uh, but, there are, but, but there are definitely moments where it is clear that like his own past experiences uh, kind of shape his worldview when that is not always the best thing and uh, the advice he gives to Mizuki is probably an example of that because like obviously from his perspective yeah uh, when everything that went on with his dad he kind of blames himself for that and he doesn't want Mizuki to go through the same thing so he tells her to run away which is which is not which is not terrible advice but in hindsight going to the police was definitely the better thing for her to do and I appreciate that the show doesn't just immediately have her just take Kotro's word entirely, and she does kind of take matters into her own hands. I also do like the fact that there is this genuine, endearing relationship, because I think she is a, uh, she's a hostess herself, and he keeps visiting her at her club, requesting her, because he really does want to spend time with her and get close to her. And it's this very cute very charming situation of a little kid in like an adult element and you're like oh kids say the darndest things and it's like no he's really lonely and wants the companionship and wants to get closer to her and you can tell she's really is trying to get close to him and like take care of him yeah yeah uh, yeah and now i actually remember, and i actually remember what is probably one of the funniest things oh are you talking are you talking about the line where, like, where he's talking to Cardo and is like, "Are you getting along with her?" It's like, eh, it's not her fault. She's she's bored with me. I get it. Adult women always find me more entertaining than girls my own age. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good one. And then there's another one where, like, where there's like an episode where Kotro is having like a series of nightmares, and like Cardo and Mizuki are trying to help him. And so, uh, basically, he spends the night with him this one time. And then, uh, and then, like, the, and then, like, the next morning, like, Kotaro is, like, walking to school with Karido, and he's, like, telling, and he's, like, telling Karido about, like, spending the night with Mizuki. And he's just, and then Karido just, deli- and then Karido just delivers the line, well, I guess Madame Perfect's ready. I don't know. Yeah. That was a pretty good, that was pretty good. But, no, I think Stephanie plays Mizuki with this right level of, like, 
what I would say, this level of, like, free-spirited charm I would see in, like, a lot of her more teenage characters with that light, right level of, like, age, wisdom, and actual adult into the voice that makes it feel distinct and well done, and I was pleasantly surprised by it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, and I definitely really liked her delivery during the scene where she does have to say goodbye to Godro when she has to leave the apartment for her own safety and I thought her delivery there was also really good. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have anything you want to add on? She's good. Like, my assessment of this dub is the everyone's really good at getting to the core humanity of their characters and Stephanie's Stephanie part of that. It's good. It's good performance. I feel like an idiot saying the same thing over and over again. It's what I feel. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I think we're all going to have a lot more to say about the doting Yakuza uncle that we never knew we needed. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Kaylee's maybe, just having maybe, a grail. Maybe this is why the show reminds me of the Yakuza game. Just it's Samu in general. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really do just appreciate the contrast. Like, you see this guy, scary looking Yakuza man, and it just turns out to be like the nicest uncle. He's just, he's just the doting, just the doting old uncle man. He, he, he's like what happens if you insert grandpa software into your Yakuza hardware. Like he wants to, he wants to dote and spoil his grandbabies or something like that. That same level of energy, like like mm. like he's got like a level of Mace Hughes in him, which is all at once charming. And man, I've heard Kaylee in a couple of things. I did not know she could do gruff and tough Yakuza man, who's also a doting, loving, dear old dad. Uh, uh, bad performance. Absolutely galaxy brain shit. And it's kind of one of the biggest surprises of the entire dub. I, it's kind of stupendous. And really, really unlike anything I've ever heard out of Kaylee. I thought I've gotten a good vibe for her particular work. But this is pretty unique and inspired as far as casting goes. I'm pleasantly impressed. And then... Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I think what is, like, really fascinating about this character is that this is the one where you really do get, like, the biggest 180 between, like, the persona they put on and then, like, what's actually going Which, on Which, I'll say this, we're talking about a lot about how serious a show Kotaro Lives Alone is, but it is also... It also knows it is a little bit of a silly cartoon with an out-there premise. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it plays around with it. Because, man, nothing gave me a fucking heartier laugh than seeing that Isamu's fucking kid is like a baby gangster Yakuza man. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. 
He's so fucking cute, and it's so fucking funny that his whole deal is that he is just a baby gangster guy who's walking around with, like, the bleach blonde hair, slicked back with the sunglasses, walking around with his hands in his pocket, like, and then also just voiced by an actual child actor, too, which, which just perfects it, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But also, yeah, wasn't expecting guy who misses his son so bad and is, like, upset with, like, the fact that the divorce agreement arrangements means he sees his son less. And then having to actively scold his son for running away to see his dad when it wasn't his turn. Which was a very interesting approach to this particular character. Oh, uh, yeah. But also one I believe he would do. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like 100% in character for him to do that. I think it's also... Mm-hmm. Sorry, continue, Alma. It's, I mean... It's, I, I promise I'm going to stop bringing up the Akaza games, but a, a, a tension you see in there is Kiryu... Yeah, he's, he was in jail for like a decade, basically, and his idea of how a Yakuza is supposed to behave has kind of fallen out of favor. And there's a lot of like, no, actually, you are supposed to like help the community and be a source of good to a certain point. Like, I'm here because the Yakuza boss of this family ran a fucking orphanage, and that's where I ended up after my parents died. Like, you're supposed to do that. That's what you're supposed to do. And Asamu feels like he's in that mold of like, yeah, I want to see my son, but like, no, listen to your mother. Don't run off to see... Like, it's more important that he have good values as a child than I get to see my son. It's effectively that level of if I encourage you that the rules don't matter and you will not get punished for them, what is that going to say about how you're going to turn out when you grow up? Don't do what I did. If I instill one thing in you, son, don't do what I did. I love you, and I want to have a relationship with you, but I don't want you to be me. I think that's the whole deal with Isamu, and you can kind of see that genuine level of heartbreak as, like, Kotaro's chastising him for sending his kid away, and he's, like, trying to keep it together, and you see him losing it at, like, sending his son away, just being the stern father, and it's just genuinely heartbreaking and I felt so much for this character and I was absolutely floored with like the level of acting on display with Kaylee's range. I also just liked the fact that Isamu's deal is that he is always judged for uh, for his character for how he looks and he knows what it's like to be judged for how he looks and how he seems. And he doesn't let it. Bo- he tries to not let it bother him, because he's just lived like this his whole life. That's, oh yeah, like I remember the episode where like he went shopping with Kotaro and then like he got and then he got stopped by the cops and Kotaro set up for him. I thought that whole thing was pretty cute. Kotaro is a very good boy, and he he's surrounded by good people, and sometimes a lot of those good people are absolute train wrecks. Case in point, Kobayashi. (laughs) She is trying so hard. I love this woman. I love this woman dearly. 
I would probably go out for drinks with her. Would not even object to maybe hooking up with her. She is absolutely a train wreck, though. Oh, absolutely. Just... Please go, though. I... So, so where do we begin with this particular character in particular? Do we go about the fact that, like, her actual role... Or do we just talk about the fact that she just decided getting drunk on somebody else's beer, taking off her shirt and writing a funny face on her stomach to make the kid laugh was a good idea? That, that does stand in starker contrast if you know that her, as, as I believe we mentioned earlier, she is a lawyer and her job is to execute uh, part of his, uh, Kodoro's dead mother's life insurance policy, which is to give Kodoro his allowance so he can survive. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, uh, while we are t- uh, while we are talking about him, uh, shout out to Yuri Lowenthal, uh playing her boss. Yeah, Yuri seems like a good dude in that, but he's very. It's very much that relationship of there. This kid and this case. This is a weird one. This is a particularly unique one. We have specific rules. They don't have a bank account. You're going to give it to them in like an envelope. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to go there. You're going to be thanked formally. And you're going to go inside. You're going to go inside. And you're going to get milk and chicken. And then when you go inside. He's going to take you for karaoke. He's going to sing you a song. It's a karaoke thing as thanks. And then you will give him the money, and then he will ask you, where did this money come from? And you have to respond, a very gracious, anonymous benefactor. And that's what you have to do. It's like the rules for interacting with the fae in a fairy tale. So like, it, they, won't like, so they won't like eat you or something. It, it is that very intricate level of rules, so... I think that's valid, but I think there's also this level of you have to be stern, because otherwise you will get too involved and you will break. Yeah. Yeah, I did think what's like particularly interesting with the whole with the whole mysterious benefactor thing is that Kotaro clearly knows something is up. He is not sure what it is, but he does know something is up. And then just seeing Kobayashi have to try so hard to maintain the facade is really interesting. Also, Kotaro's a also, Kotaro's a good kid, but, like, may or may not have also used alcohol to his advantage to get her to spill the beans. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a very perceptive child. And I also particularly enjoy Heather's at particular delivery of this character. It's like, if I was to describe the specific way Heather approaches this character, is that... I feel like she plays Kobayashi where it's like her buttons are just a little too tight. And I think that's just the approach is that she is approaching Kobayashi as somebody who is very formal, almost too formal. They are too buttoned up, a little too scrunched up that you can tell they are straining and forcing themselves to keep up that formality while also getting a little bit too involved for their own good. Uh, yeah, uh, like case in point, the episode where she takes Kotaro to his old apartment. That was very charming and absolutely overkill, but there's this very unique sense of, like, I can tell 
he has a lot of memories, but to him, not every bad memory is worth being forgotten. Yeah. And there's just a, like, I like how you can tell she's keeping up the app. We are going on a train ride. This is going to be great. I wanted to test out this new apartment. When I go to a new apartment, I bring toiletries and I bring clothes to see if I can really envision myself living in this environment. And I think it... She's the female Tanya Ina. She's got that level of, like, formality. Like, I feel like she would be chopping the airs in that same formal class president way that Tanya Ina would. But I think that's what it is. It's just her buttons are done just a little too tight. And I love the way that Heather gets that. Like, her volume is just slightly too raised. But you can tell she is earnest. She cares. And she really does want to take care of this kid. But what happens when you loosen those belts, gentlemen? What happens when you loosen those buttons? <laughs> Uh, uh, what happens is uh, you get our next character uh, see that wasn't even going for that particular segue actually I was just going with the fact that this bitch just gets fucking drunk oh, she, she just gets fucking drunk and like goes nuts and like writes a funny face on herself and I kind of like how you see that facade crack and it's just very funny seeing Karina walk in, and there is just a half-naked, drunk woman crying in Kotaro's room. He's like, what the fuck happened here? Yeah, yeah, cry, uh, crying and drinking his beer. God, is it? <laughs> I, I, would, would, I would, um, would you like to hang out with a woman like Kobayashi, or is she like a very, I couldn't deal with this person to you? How drunk is she, and how often? Valid to both. She 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 seems very fine. She also seems like she's probably a lot in the long term, but she seems nice. She seems like she would give a good hug. Do we do do we do we do we want to talk about shit now? Oh god, yeah, we can talk about shit now. I just, but I I really really liked Kobayashi, and I think Heather is. I, I've really liked what I've heard of her in some minor roles, and I think she absolutely nails Kobayashi. I just want to. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do really like her Kobayashi. It, it is the it is the right level of like loud dorkiness. Bless her dorky part. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, on the opposite, and then on the opposite spectrum, we have the scruffiest man alive. Like literally, all he needs is a five o'clock shadow, which he actually has in the manga. I'm kind of shocked he doesn't have a five o'clock shadow. Actually, <laughs> he just has very—he has very big. I don't know what a razor looks like. Energy. <laughs> I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that animating the five o'clock shadow would have been a lot of extra work they didn't want to go for. So they they merely imply <laughs> the five o'clock shadow through every other part of his character design. Uh, I mean. Okay, look, I know it's mean to the show, but <laughs> there isn't a lot of animating going on in this. Let's be real here. It's true. I mean, given, given the content of the show, I can't imagine anyone was chomping at the bit to dump money into this production. Let's be real here. It's a unique beast in that it is... I, I appreciate this exists, but I definitely feel like this is something they wouldn't put resources into. So I get it, I guess. It's just... 
but uh, but uh, yeah, I really do. I really like this character. This is definitely a very uh, different character than what I would expect from Michael uh, Sister Nicholas and the kind of stuff he normally does. Uh, everything like I know about Cinder Nicholas's catalog is usually like much peppier, louder, and shoutier, goofier characters. Like yeah, like I, much. like I, like I know Cinder Nicholas. Like I think of like. I think of like, I think of uh, Dean Venture. I think of uh, Jushimatsu. I think of like, was he one of the Ninja Turtles in the TMNT show yes, in two thousand three? I don't remember which one, but I believe he was. I want to say, say it was Donnie. Like that makes sense. I want to say it was Donatello too. I'm like everything about it tells me Donatello, like if, even though if it... I'm casting TMNT. I know which one I'm casting Cinder Nicholas as. I'm just gonna look this up, but I I think the point is that this is way lower key and like it's down to a particularly low tired oh, so, level. Oh, oh uh, so uh, he is not Donatello; he is in fact Leonardo. I can see that. Really? Oh, okay, okay yeah. But I can see it. I I think that the the important thing here is that. Karino is not what I associate with Sinter Nicholas at all. Mm. It is uniquely low-key. And it is uniquely... Karino is a very good dude. Karino is not the stepdad... He's the dad that stepped up. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, really do appreciate this gruffy-looking dude just sort of, uh, just sort of awkwardly worming his way into a father role. Very endeared to this strange man who just kind of took it upon himself to look out for this kid because he, I think he just kind. I, I don't know how to describe it. I feel like Karino has the energy of somebody who is like, I I see nothing, I hear nothing, not my problem, I don't want to get involved. But he feels like somebody who is empathetic and human enough to recognize when something's going on and actually has to intervene. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, like, immediately, like, the whole thing starts where, like, he sees Kotaro, like, going out by himself, and it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm sure, whatever, not my problem. And then, like, he's watching TV, and he sees, like, oh, and he sees a report, like, oh, there's a bunch of kidnappings going on, because people aren't being, and he's like, oh, man, this only has to be because people aren't paying enough attention to kids, and he's like, wait. Wait a second, what the f- <laughs> Wait, am I part it's of just, it, 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 It's literally just him realizing, oh, no- <laughs> I am the problem. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that there's, like, a later joke shortly after that where, like, and where, like, he's hanging around Kotor the first time and then he, like, brief he's briefly convinced he might be Kotor's father because, like, <laughs> the timing matches up with his last girlfriend. Oh, God. He was legitimately like, wait a second. What? <laughs> Did I? 
people. Oh God, I could have. People commenting that Karno and Kataro look alike, and him being like, "I do not understand what you mean," and please stop. I do not need this right now. I I don't need that on my conscience. I don't need to know that I hit it and quit it. I don't need that in my life. Oh. <laughs> but Karno, like I think. Karno is a very charming, endearing character, and I think it is very much, he's, he is the kind of person you want in your corner. He is absolutely the kind of person anybody would be lucky to have in their life. Mm -hmm. And he is there for Kotaro and protective of him in ways that I don't think Kotaro has ever had in his life. I think he's had people who've looked out for him. I don't think he's had anybody with that fierce level of devotion to being there for this kid like Karino has. Like, there's this interesting scenario where one of Karino's exes is back in town and he's got like a big break going on with his manga and she sees that where it's like they broke it off because they weren't working out but it's like she knows that manga is important to him and he was kind of just coaxing off of it for a while like he was just kind of writing off of prize money and had no motivation pretty much until kotaro because he saw oh i can actually make kids happy and i want kids to be happy and to like my things and he gives us his all. So it's like his girl, his ex-girlfriend's just kind of like, Hey, Kotaro, I'm going to walk you to school. Well, Shin's doing a bunch of important stuff right now. He doesn't have time. And like, Kotaro's really sad because Karino didn't show up to the thing at his school. But then he was there because he's no idiot. He's not going to forget something that's important to Kotaro. And it's this really, really charming moment. Uh, yeah, that scene was so cute. I, like, Sinner Nicholas, this is a very unique Sinner Nicholas role, and I think Karno is just this very charming, very endearing, like, I, I, Karno is the people you either see yourself as, or wish you could be, or know somebody who was Karno. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, and it's interesting because, again, he's a really scruffy dude. He does, like, suck sometimes, but then a lot of the time he really is the one who, like, so, uh, who stands up and who stands up and go to Rome and sometimes in ways that are, like, really unexpected, like, that's a, uh, like, when, uh, like when he decides to make himself go to his rival to sort of, uh, to, uh, to sort of help him deal with his trauma for a while. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then, like, and then, like, in the final episode where he goes, with, uh, where he goes with Kotaro to like visit his van, his grandparents' grave. Oh God, the grave thing. Yeah, and then like, and then he sees that Kotaro's mother's grave is also on there, and her her so, name and, was engraved on the family shrine. Yeah, and it's interesting because like early because like uh, leading up to that scene, they make it uh, they make a deal that that Karino is like the one person who has never lied to Kotaro. And, and that is the one instance where he has to lie to him. There's that, like, there's that painful, like, you can tell he is so in pain at the fact that 
he can't just tell he doesn't want to be the one to tell this kid your mother's gone and never coming back that that whole bit where he's like i don't i don't want to lie to him but i he he can't know if he hates me fine he can't know right now this can't be how he finds out this can't I, be the I, way he learns. Like, I would rather destroy our relationship in the long term than do this to him. That is the less painful option. Which is so upsetting, but I also get it. I, I don't know if I do anything different in his shoes. Like, Jesus Christ. It's a lot. The, the, the it's so the much. The terrible moment where it's revealed that Kodoro knows how to spell his mom's name, and it's like, oh, no. Mm. It's maximum heartbreak. Absolutely. But I I was particularly endeared to Mike in particular. Uh, yeah, it is a very different performance for him, but he does it really well. Mm-hmm. So, you want to talk oh, different performance. I want to say oh, no, one last thing, which is something I, I, I meant to bring up during the um, EDR thing, but forgot. Um, he gives a really good performance, and the one part that always stuck out the most to me was, I forget if this is in the first or second episode, but there's, like, a very brief moment in one of those where, uh, Karino's responding to something, and he, like, stumbles over a word. And that stuck out to me, because I don't think I've ever heard an anime dub where someone does that. In that, like, in a, in a way that sounded, like, natural, not scripted. Like, they, they actually, like, fucked up the line a little bit, and they ran with it. Mm. Uh, it is, like, that is, that is something I'm used to hearing in, like, you know modern comedies that have a lot of improv in them where that's like a, that you know that's a feature not a bug i don't i don't even think i hear that in prelay animation that often and i was like oh this this feels really different all of a sudden so would you say like a rick and morty kind of thing like a little bit but even like like it like it like it, like it, it kind of like it sounded like he like messed up the line a little bit but it still fit the lip flap so they kept it in there because it sounded natural like it it was it was very it was just very surprising it's not something i feel like i ever hear in anime and when I do hear it in, like, mm. animation in general, it tends to be stuff like, you know, Rick and Morty or BoJack Horseman or other stuff that tend to have a lot of, like, you know, live-action TV in their DNA, not just other animation. And that, that, was, that was very much a moment where it's like, okay, this show feels different now. Like, this feels different from what I was expecting, maybe, out of it. Mm. So that was, that yeah, was I interesting. could definitely see it. I could definitely yeah. agree to that, for sure. Any, anyways, let's, let's talk about the man of the hour. Or the lady of the hour. Oh uh, yeah, but uh, speaking of very different performances, uh, Jeremy Lays Kotaro giving the most different performance I have ever heard from her. So, you know that lady that plays Lucy in Fairy Tale? You know that lady that plays a bunch of popular characters like Makoto in Persona 5? Like, fucking... Uh, the drag, the hot, thick dragon priest lady whose name I'm forgetting in Fire Emblem Three Houses, because I'm very tired, and my first thought was thick, hot Fire Emblem dragon lady. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, good old Raya. Yeah, anyways, Raya. Point being, you didn't expect popular, renowned anime and video game voice actress Jeremy Lay to play a four-year-old child who is trying to talk like their favorite samurai cartoon character and is dealing with absolutely criminal levels of child abuse and neglect. Yeah, yeah, and 
doing a very, very, very convincing child voice, which is, like, really, really shocking. Extremely. It's... I think it's also the fact that it's like I can hear it, it's chair me after a while, but it is a very uniquely distinct performance unlike any I've ever heard out of her. And you know what's kind of insane to me? She has to play different ages of Kotaro? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are points where she has to play an even younger version of Kotaro. Like, like, and somehow makes that version sound even more believable as a child. Kotaro, like... as he is, as of the show taking place, is four years old. So there are flashbacks where Cherami also has to play two to three year old Kotaro and make it sound distinctly different. And it does. It's like this higher-pitched, less, like, developed, less wordy version of Kotaro. And it sounds different from four-year-old, forced-to-grow-up-early samurai mimicry Kotaro that we get in the show. And, he, and, Kotaro, and like, Jeremy, is Kotaro is funny, charming, heartbreaking... Oh my god, just fucking... Fuck uh, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there really is... There really is just a lot to this performance. He does a really fantastic job of making Totoro, again, sound very wise beyond his years. And to end, to end has a really good hit on that personality. And, and there are a lot of times where she does have to dial that back a bit to have him behave as a kid every now and then. And Jeremy can switch between those two sides, like... Seamlessly, and it's really incredible. I, I'm kind of blown away. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is this is this is a lot. This is. I don't, it's just a lot. He he does this he does this fake old timey language because he he had he was so miserable and he found so much joy in this shitty little kid show that by all accounts is like not good at all but it brought him such happiness to the point where he just he like imitates how the main character talks because that's that's something for him and i, li I like how it consists that they are with keeping the language he doesn't say yes he says i and he says tis and twas like th regularly throughout his dialogue and that's major ups to heather on the script as well too for keeping a consistency to that level of like noble samurai speech in uh, every uh, one of Kotaro's lines. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, to which, yeah, to which I it is getting, it leads me to what is probably the most impressive part of that performance because it is a thing that is really, really, really hard to do authentically, and yet Jeremy does it somehow. Really good, authentic, bad child singing. Yeah. Oth yeah, that's, that's hard to do. That is hard to do, and she kind of nails it. Yeah, it's not even like, okay, you have to sing, but it's like, no, you have to sing like a child. You have you to sing really awkwardly. You have to sing off-key, high pitch, and kind of, like, breathy. And to be convincing 
in the world of dubbing where you have to be ready on three beeps is pretty nuts. Pretty nuts. Yeah. This, this is one of these... And Sorry. Yeah? No, I was just rambling. Go, continue. This is one of these performances where it's like, the more I think about the mechanics of it, the more it's like, how did you... Are you, are you a wizard or something? How the fuck did you do this? <laughs> I I think that's that's a good way of putting it, is that... How do, how do you do this child voice and then successfully do the child doing other voices? Where it's still recognizably the child, but he's still doing a voice. Five times! Four times. Still! It's, it's pretty impressive. And also worth noting the fact that Cherami is also Tonosaman? Yes, uh, something, uh, yeah. something uh, I believe they do that in Japanese too. Tonosaman is voiced by uh, Katoro's actor there as well. I absolutely believe it's intentional, but it is very impressive to hear the contrast is also different from how Kotaro sounds. Oh, yeah. Which is very unique and interesting and just charming. It's a charming little dumb cartoon kids character. And I like, I like the, I just like the snark that's Karado is like, God, they made a movie out of this crap. Is this unique level of like tired adult man who doesn't get it, but this kid finds so much comfort into it that it just. Uh, yeah, but yeah, there really is just uh, so much of this performance again. So again, there's a lot of the like acting wise beyond his ears and how Jeremy has to, and how and how Jeremy has to like portray that sense of wisdom. Uh, very consistently, and just does a really good job of that. And then, uh, just a lot of uh, Kotaro's uh, whole relationship with Karino, <clears throat> to and how like he grows gradually more endeared to him, and like any like any like, little moments where like Kotaro is like you know clearly jealous of like Karino spending time with other people, and he's like trying his best to hide it. Uh, like like the episode where like he where like Karino ends up taking all of Kotaro's friends to see a movie. And, like, Karino's, like, clearly exhausted. He's clearly he's... exhausted. These kids are wearing him out. He has spent how much money on fucking popcorn? And he just wants to nap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then he finds out later, though, like, Totoro is, like, you know, again, trying his best to hide it, but is, like, clearly jealous that, like, Karino is spending time with other kids and not him. Hmm. And then Karino, and then Karino disagrees. He, like, goes see the Jonas about movie with him later, which, uh... Clearly regrets that decision, but it, but that whole thing. Regrets. It made the kid hat. Sometimes you have to go see something, not because you want to see it, but because somebody you care about really wants to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when you have you're dealing with young kids, no, you don't want to see the new Ice Age movie. Sometimes it's just they think it'll be fun. And you do it for them. You do not, you do not enjoy the annoying orange, but your little, your oh. little, your little cousin really likes the annoying orange, and you're not gonna say no to him. Or I guess the modern take of that would be Baby Shark. I find that I find oh. that much less annoying than annoying orange, but yet yeah, you are correct. 
Uh, I mean, fair. That's, uh, that song is like burned in my skull. Oh god, I can, I can only imagine, yeah. <laughs> but I think Kotaro has this level of warmth and empathy to him as a character that I also believe Cherami absolutely gets across is just this level of warmth, sincerity, sincerity, and absolute like earnestness that this child believes in you and believes in everybody around him and wants to be friends with everybody. And it's just... You can tell that he wears them down and warms them to his side. And I absolutely think this is an extremely hard and complicated role to do right. And Jeremy does it all and then some. Holy crap. Uh, yeah, like... So, yeah, like, Jeremy Lee is a actor with a very long career, has done a lot of characters I really like, has a lot of really good performances, and even with all that, I would honestly put this up there as one of the best he's ever done, like, which, again, is not something you would expect from a little show like this, but, like, it is really high up there for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have anything else you want to add, Amon? God damn. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that about sums I, it. I, I said earlier there weren't any flashy performances, and I wouldn't really call what Jeremy does flashy, but it is... it is Much like how I'm surprised the show does not, like, faceplant at any point in the ten episodes it runs, I, I am impressed that Jeremy is able to do this across the entire time and be so good. And... There's a lot of love and care in this dub, and I really appreciate that. This this feels like something that could easily have been just sort of written off as kind of low profile, and maybe you didn't have to work so hard on it, and I don't. that doesn't feel like what happened, and I appreciate that they took the time for that. Uh, yeah, I guess that's probably a good segue into Final Thoughts. This should not work. This should absolutely not work. This should be a... This, this should be a this should be a bomb that people talk about for years to come. Like, did you see this nonsense that Netflix funded? What were they thinking? This is a show that should not work because it does not feel like anybody else could make like a three minute vignette of a character that never shows up again voiced by christopher Corey smith who's talking about who's just talking to kids for like over an hour for his dentist appointment and it's because every because he remembers neglecting a child who had like extreme cavities and was like trying to get their attention because of malnourishment and neglect at home and ignored them before they were taken away for neglect and abuse. And now he's just like, I literally cannot and will never ignore a child's cry for help again. And also have a silly little episode where it's like, here's a little kid with a fake sword going to the bathhouse with his buddies. And then he goes on a little adventure too. And make it work. Empathy. 
Empathy is the key to Kotaro Lives Alone. Empathy for everybody in this show, because it is silly, but it does not demean anybody. It is not mean. It is genuinely understanding and empathetic in a way I usually do not see out of most media. It's fascinating and this dub is very charming very well done with a couple of key performances in particular that were like holy shit i didn't know this person could do that in particular i quite enjoyed this i'm quite glad i gave this a chance and finally watched it okay uh alan the show is the show is really good in I feel like audacious is almost the word I want to use. Like, this this show feels like it does not have to... The people... The manga that I'm assuming this is based on, which is something is probably pretty similar, like, it probably didn't have to try this hard, and I don't know if the anime had to try this hard, but they did. For, again, like, I... What is the audience for this show? I honestly don't know. I feel like the people who would enjoy the show the most would be turned off by it being a cartoon. Uh, like, according to Wikipedia, there was apparently, like, a live-action drama of this previously, and it's like, I can see who would watch that. This feels like a way harder sell, and I'm almost more impressed they made it for that reason. It feels like a way harder sell to sell to anime fans? I, 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 a, anime fans watch this? Like, no. Like, it... People rambling over, like, you know, whatever, you know, you know, Isekai or whatever is the best this season, like, even just, like, they would get so turned off off the first episode, they never come back to it ever again. A hundred percent. Like, oh. This, is, this, this reminds me of, like, uh, like, you know, watching, like, Monster on the Sci-Fi Channel back when it was airing very briefly, and sort of being frustrated of, like, this has zero appeal to anime fandom as it exists right now. Um, why can't it be popular? And kind of and knowing why, but not not really making it any less like you know less annoying. And this almost feels like the same way. It's like yeah, this this feel... <laughs> the show is great, and this dub is really well done. And I'm almost a little annoyed that yeah, I don't know who to pitch this to. <laughs> That, that think, that's the weird that's a weird problem of hitting as well. Like, I can think of people who enjoy parts of this, and then also I would bring up like the like just the child in pain parts, and it's like nope, not nah, can't take that. Nope, sorry. I have kids now. I can't watch this kind of thing anymore. Sorry, man. It is a unique beast of a show. Where I, I always think of like that one song from like Name of Show. Where it's like, you could be nine people's favorite thing, or a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. And I feel this one is very much going for the nine people's favorite thing angle. In that this, for the people, for the specific audience that would appreciate, adore, and admire a show like this, is infinitesimally small but the audience that really will get something out of this will adore it and the problem I run into is I really do adore what the show is doing and I have nobody I could really recommend this to 
So now I'm just on a podcast episode telling you about why I like it and why you should watch it. So thank you for listening. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't have too much more to add there. I really, really like this show. Again, uh, I didn't know what to expect from it going off the previews. It just, I mean, it seemed like it might be okay, but uh, like Andrew was saying, it did sort of seem like a weird kid show. And that was kind of odd. But then, then I decided to check, it, to check it out on a whim, and I ended up really digging it. And uh, yeah, it's a really heartfelt show. Uh, really definitely got to me at times. And it can also be a very dark show. Like, it does not... Uh, it does not shy away from uh, really heavy topics concerning child abuse in it. Uh, and it handles all, and it handles a lot of that with a lot more talk than you would expect from a show that looks like this, but uh, it manages to make it work, and it somehow manages to balance the toes between, you know, being uh, being really sweet and charming, and then, like, going to dark places, and it balances all of that really well, and in a way where, again, it feels like a lesser show could have, like, easily fumbled the ball, but uh, Coach Roe manages to uh, hold the ball all the way to the finish line, and I'm really impressive man managed to pull that off. It is quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and the dub is also pretty impressive in that respect. It is, it is again, a pretty uh, low... This is, again, this is a pretty low-key show, and uh, the dub has a pretty good low-key vibe to it. Uh, definitely not uh, definitely not setting the world on fire, but there are a lot of really solid performances here. A couple, a couple that are really surprising because it, uh, definitely are very outside of what I would expect from the wheelhouses of actors like Jeremy Lay or Michael Nicholas, and they do a really fantastic job here, and I thought that on the whole, the cast and crew definitely poured a lot of love into this show, and again, a lot more than you would expect for a show with low-key as this one, but it is very much appreciated, especially considering that this doesn't seem like it would have a very big audience, but I do think that uh, the folks that will appreciate this show will really appreciate this show. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I guess that uh, more, uh, yeah, I guess that more or less does it. So, uh, anything uh, you guys want to plug? Uh, hi, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me over Twitter at MangaMan9000. Outside of being on the Dub Talk podcast, I stream video games on our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash dubtalkpodcast, alongside my lovely partner, Stephanie, a.k.a. Lilac Anime Review. And if you would like to see me talk about the latest in anime developments and news, you can go over to Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where I host it alongside my buddy. Hey, Jed, that's you, isn't it? Usually I just yeah. say your name in passing, but you're right here. Yeah, I do that with him. Yeah. Uh, I'm Amon. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at AmonDuelUS. Uh, I talk about movies and video games and comic books and stuff like that and i also like talking about music and i have a dusty old song for us for the evening uh oh yeah, cool it's it, uh from from the zombies 1968 magnum opus odyssey and oracle we have brief candles a very very pretty very melancholic song about uh hoping that the 
uh, your pain you suffered in life will kind of lead to something better later on. It's very good. It's easily the second best song on that album. Uh, you should check it out. Cool. And uh, as for me, I am Jet. Uh, you can find me on uh, the Twitters, um, where I will usually uh, be talking about uh, game news, anime news, or, or I guess uh, whatever is whatever is going on in the world at the moment. Uh, you can, again, as Andrew said, also find me on Through Resolutions Podcast today to usually. Update the breeze about anime news. And then I also do Twitch streams on Thursdays. I'm currently going through Axle Chain. Where can the people find more of this thing that they're listening to? Uh, yeah, uh, we are the Dump Top Podcast. You can find us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the Rotting Corpse of Tumblr. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, okay, in fairness, the rotting corpse got, like, a <laughs> quick resuscitation before it went back to being dead because people thought porn wasn't banned. And then of life. it got exactly 15 whole minutes of life. Just enough for a quickie, but barely enough to clean up. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. And, and if you would like to support anything we do, uh, you can do it through a one-time donation through our Kofi, or uh, you can be one of our lovely patrons. And uh, before we wrap things up tonight, I'd like to give a shout-out to our patrons. At the $5 tier, we have Megan's Mom and Dad, uh, Michelle Travis, Nico Robert Bowie Yowie Heads, and Victor Maribona. And at the $10 tier, we have Anthony Brown, Holy Wessicow, Crypto Akinda, Jacob Rolson, Jared Hawkins, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. And thanks for your support, guys. We always appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think it's about time we call it a knife ourselves and hit the bathhouses. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, this was a fun one. Thanks for joining me, guys. Always a pleasure. Now, it's only fair that we go out in public, get naked, and then clean ourselves off with soap and water, because that is just what we do in society. We go bathe with other naked men. That's uh, just the thing. Okay, uh, and here I thought you were going to grab a beer and just, like, uh, draw to the gun yourself in Jeremy. Okay, Amon, I have a question. Have there been any dramatic Yakuza boss battles or, like, fight scenes that take place in a bathhouse where everybody's butt naked? Did you not see the one that was going around Twitter, like, two weeks ago when they announced the sequel? That was literally that. I didn't... I did not, actually. Yeah, I, I think it's from... I think it's from Kiwami 2. But yes, yes, that has happened. Excellent. Bringing it back full circle. Anyways, good night, everybody. Rock over Boston. And Otaku on. Rock over Boston, rock on Chicago. <laughs>